Hello, listeners. You are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans, and it is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to an exclusive and earlier than usual episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. It is episode 37. Alex and I are coming at you this Thursday, December 2nd evening. It's about 6.15 to be exact. And Alex, we're officially in lockout mode. We are, Travis. We're in lockout mode, and there was just too much action at the beginning of the lockout and the last couple of days before the lockout started. We could not wait a week to talk to you guys. We had to give you guys the scoop on everything that's happened since we recorded on Sunday afternoon. Exactly. I feel like right when you clicked the button to end last episode, news just started dropping yeah. every five minutes, and I was just thinking, should we just cancel this episode and redo it because things are just going crazy right now but wanted to come to you of course before or after the lockout was officially done um and kind of give you the scoop on the latest you know transactions trades uh players being acquired so me and alex of course are coming to you early thursday night giving you the latest scoop uh so basically just kind of talk about the last four days of the excitement of the free agent market and the off season and then of course give you uh you know the list of players who are still on the market and of course talk about the latest you know cba topics that are up for discussion with the owners and the and the players union talking about you know what is really at stake here and you know both those parties coming together so we'll kind of give you the latest scoop but alex Let's start off the episode, of course, by going over all the free agent acquisitions of mm-hmm. the past week. Yep. Um, I kind of broke it down into four different sections, you know, different, you know, topics for each section. But I'll start with, of course, the wild, wild west, sure. Alex. The AL West just became kind of a juggernaut division in baseball. And I tweeted something out earlier, possibly in all of sports. I okay. think that the AL West this year, as well as for the next maybe decade, could be something of just like insane insanity insanity with In terms what of talent for sure with what we've seen the past couple days um i'll tell you one thing all-star voting just got a lot harder mm-hmm. you got guys at all positions of course in each division but the al is almost stacked right now so let's start of course with a team that i think made some of the most noise this past uh couple days and that is the texas rangers alex Acquiring Marcus Simeon, seven years, 175 mil. That's about 25 million AAV. Corey Seager, 10 years, 325 mil, about 32 and a half mil AAV. Just right there, Alex, the Rangers have spent $500 million for right. the next seven to 10 years. And that was in a 24-hour span, I'm pretty sure. Just, exactly. Just, just probably setting their own records for money spent for sure. Exactly, exactly. And then, of course, you had John Gray, four years, $56 million, $14 million AAV. So pretty much wrapping it up, they spent over half a billion dollars in about a 48-hour span. What do you make of that? <laughs> yeah, Travis, I think both of us would have said on Sunday, if some like guy from the future showed up into our podcast studio and said, hey, boys, which team is going to make the biggest splash in the next 24, 48 hours? 
uh, I think Rangers would have been towards the bottom of our list because Rangers, in my mind, were almost like the Rockies or like the Diamondbacks because there's just a lot of other teams ahead of you in the totem pole in the division, right? The Rangers were fifth place in the AL West, and they traded away Joey Gallo. And lost over 100 games. They obviously were in like a tank mode, wanted to get a, a good draft pick. Um, and then if you look at the roster overall, like not much to be excited about uh, on in almost every position. Adolis Garcia did get Rookie of the Year consideration. Um, didn't win it, of course, but uh, one bright spot there. But overall, not tons of bright spots. And then combine that with the fact that the division, Travis... You have Angels and Mariners who want to be competitive in the next five years. You have the A's who might not be that competitive right now, but just last season they were still a team that would make 86 wins. <laughs> right. And then so and then also, of course, the Astros. They're gonna lose Correa most likely, but like they're still gonna be a division favorite for sure. So really solidly last on the totem pole was the Rangers. And they still said, okay, you know what? Screw it. We're gonna add in a big way. I remember seeing a Rosenthal tweet, Ken Rosenthal, uh, the reporter. He came out and asked um, the general manager for the Rangers, and he said, a lot of spending going on. I'm sure the fans love it, but why now? And he said, the, the GM said, would you rather us wait and have another losing season and do it next year? And he said, good point. Like, you can just kind of keep putting it off, I guess. Yeah. But he said that he saw the talent that he liked on the free agent market. So he went for Semyon. He went for Seager. I don't think many people had them going to the Rangers. Um, but assuming that's the middle infield duo, that's definitely one of the better ones in baseball. Definitely. Uh, and then, of course, Gray, um, an underrated pitcher, I think, has kind of probably suffered from the whole Coors thing mm-hmm. in the last, uh, you know, for the whole entirety of his career. But still, I think, Travis, I think we both agree a lot of work would need to be done to round out their roster in order to really be super competitive in the AL West. Definitely. Right now, as they stand, I think they will add more, but... As they stand, I'm not even sure it's a winning team. Um, 60 wins last season. I don't even know if that, with those acquisitions, it's it's in the right direction. It's the right direction, but they don't add 20 wins. But it, I don't even know if it even gets to 75 or 50. It adds 15 wins. I mean, right. yeah. So uh, definitely, I think, a lot more work to do. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, on my take with the Rangers, it's, it's a good start. I know for me and you, we were talking as like, they're one of those teams, kind of like I think the Orioles where, you know, they're building for maybe like 2025 and on. They have a lot of young guys in their system. They had a lot of good young prospects, but getting these big players is a nice push for the fans. I think it's going to be a nice turnout for the fans come the first half. Maybe the second half, you see these players and these teams uh, like the Rangers kind of start to die down and, you know, come back to earth. You know, I think 70 wins is definitely in their grasp next year. I don't know about 80 wins. I don't know, you know, if the people are thinking even 90 wins. I think those are just 90 wins would definitely be a number I would not even throw out with this roster going up 30 wins from last year. Um, it's a good start. They got a great core middle infield. If they're not done, we'll see what else happens if they get some more starting pitching. But um, yeah, I mean, really just kind of recreating their team through the free agent market. The team last year really had no one exciting on it. And I know fans were probably, you know, <laughs> hating to go to the game in August and September when the team was just in total tank mode. But um, I start with the Rangers, of course. Let's go to the next team. And of course, this is our team, Alex. This is the Angels. Yeah. Um, Locking in Michael Lorenzen from the Cincinnati Reds last season, uh, locking him into a one-year, $7 million deal. And then, of course, the I think the, the biggest thing Angel fans really wanted this offseason was locking in and securing our closer back, Rysel Iglesias. We locked him in for four years, 
56 million. As we saw from last episode, he was one of the top relievers in baseball last year, finished in the second team along with Kenley Jansen. So what do you make, of course, of those two signings for the Angels? It's all about pitching. And so far, that's all we've actually been spending the money on. Yeah, I think it's definitely, you know, all good steps so far for the Angels. I think still more to add if you want to look at the offseason as like a total success, but obviously on the right path to success right now. Um, specifically on the Iglesias point, Travis, I think you really can't understand the value he had unless you watched the Angels games yeah, yeah. because there was just a complete confidence in Iglesias to get out of any jam. If there's like men on traffic in the eighth inning, we'll just jump the gun, exactly. put him in with, put him in, in a bad situation, tell him to get some outs uh, in, a, in, in a, you know, Pretty much screwing him over situationally, but he'll get out of the jam and then he'll get the save. I think I said it before, Travis, but there was never a time in the entirety of the 2021 season where the Angels were winning going into the ninth inning and lost that game. Exactly. And that is just a crown that Iglesias gets to wear because he was the go-to guy in all those positions. He was a pretty much a workhorse in the bullpen, and I'm so happy to have him back. Travis, it is a lot of money for a reliever. And usually relievers, Travis, they go up and down because they don't have a huge sample size, right? They pitch, you know, at best, you're thinking at best, like 80 innings pitch would be like a, a really like high workload season for a closer. But Travis, at the end of the day, I think someone like Iglesias, the confidence, I, the Angels are not the same team in 2021 without him. We lose so many more games. I think his win probability added must have been some of the highest on the team amongst pitchers. So um, I'm super happy to have him back. Lorenzen, uh, it it's a unique pickup because there's so many ways we can use him. He will is he's said to be wanting to be a starting pitcher, and it sounds like Perry Manassian, uh, the general manager, said to the press that that's the plan to have him as a starter, uh, and then combine that with the fact that he can also play a position. Uh, he can be a pinch hitter if needed. He can play the outfield. I, I saw something which funny, is, which is wild to me. <laughs> I, I saw something funny that he when he was drafted. He was drafted with the, the two-way aspect in mind because they kind of said he could throw like you know mid to high 90s and he can be a pitcher uh, with with uh, a couple of plus pitches. But they said in this in this drafting that he could be one of the best defensive center fielders. But that that was when he was drafted. I don't know about now. I haven't looked into his you know outfield and his range and all that kind of stuff. His outs above average. I don't know that info. Um, I don't know if that info is even available because I don't know if he has the the innings played out there recently. But Travis, at the end of the day, it's definitely a versatile. It adds the versatility to the versatility of the team. It's almost like having a utility man in the pitching rotation instead of yep. on the bench. So, I'm 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 excited to see how they use him. I know he pumps gas, Travis, and some of the stat cast stats really do like uh, what he brings to the table. But the question is, can he get to like 100 innings pitched as mm -hmm. a starter? Because yep. he's been in the bullpen recently for the Reds, um, and also a position player as well. So. It's going to be interesting how we use him. But um, I think overall, as just like an addition piece, uh, nothing to complain about. Yeah, and I think um, – I, I know going back to Lorenzen, I think all Angel fans, including me and most likely you, we really hope that he becomes more of a you know a pitching specialist than an outfield pinch hitter specialist because right. um, that's what we need right now. We need pitching. And honestly, um, I mean – it could come out to be honestly one of the sneakiest deals of the offseason. One year, $7 million, and he could be the five or the six guy in a rotation and just really kind of be a sneaky guy. He's young. Um, like you said, he throws gas. And honestly, if the starting pitching rule doesn't really work out, I mean, 
who wouldn't love a Lorenzen Loop Iglesias seven eight you know seven eighth ninth inning guys to go out there and shut down a game that'd be kind of something special as well so I kind of look at it as a win-win if it doesn't work in the starting pitching role then of course it could be a bullpen role a late bullpen role um, and then of course with Iglesias Alex um, you know looking at his ERA he had a two five seven ERA last year if you look at his whole entire career that's actually like one of the third worst seasons based on ERA in his career, which is really interesting that he's had better seasons with the Cincinnati Reds, um, according to ERA numbers. So honestly, could have a better year than even last year, next year. And I'm really excited to have him back. I think that securing that bullpen piece was very important for the Angels because of how many games we had to, you know, we, we've seen so many blown games in the seventh and the eighth inning with the Angels and getting two guys to really lock down the game in those innings is huge. I think, of course, it gives a lot of confidence and it's kind of a domino effect up to our starting pitching to maybe let them go seven uh, six, seven innings comfortably every start. Uh, I think it's going to be really helpful. But of course, I don't think we're done. I think we still have, of course, have some work to do once this lockout ends. But um, I, I'm going to add a couple things on Rizel real quick. Uh, I completely agree with your points that, you know, he, there's a good chance that he can duplicate this kind of stuff going forwards because. I mean, obviously, starting or closing pitcher with a high workload, you know, you can wear the arm out sometimes, but there's tons of very, uh, I guess, positive, you know, upward looking stats on, on StatCast. He was top 2% in baseball in strikeout percentage, K percentage. He was top 4% in uh, walk percentage. So, like, top four lowest, that means, like, uh -huh. obviously, you're really good at avoiding walks. And his, his X ERA, his expected ERA, uh, was actually lower than his ERA. And that's true of both 2020 and 2021. So the last two seasons, he had below a three ERA, but his X ERA was actually less. So it almost kind of says, you know, based on like the the way people are squaring up the ball, the launch angle, the exit velocity, all that kind of stuff that StatCast collects, they say actually his numbers should be a little bit better than what they were. So that kind of almost tells you, you know, what we're seeing from him in the last couple of seasons, it's not like this this fluke where he's he's doing a career best kind of thing. This is what he's been able to just do consistently the last two seasons. There's just so much to like about what he adds um, to the bullpen. It's just really a it's just a complete confidence. Charles, there's a Definitely. funny funny viral clip uh, that the Angels bullpen did where they started warming up Rizal Iglesias in a safe situation, and the rest of the bullpen arms started like high fiving, like game was over pretty much. <laughs> and of course, no 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 failure there. He got the save and yep. took care of business. But so happy to have him back, of course. And uh, and yeah, I mean, I think the Angels are indefinitely. I would say, Charis, if you showed us Rizal Iglesias, Loop, Syndergaard, Lorenzen all before the lockout we'd be like thumbs up yeah amazing yeah awesome yeah i, I think i think syndergaard and, and iglesias definitely are like good we got a starting pitcher that you know syndergaard i'm not going to say he's going to be you know kind of a question mark i think he'll have a good bounce back year he's on a one-year deal i think that gives him a lot of confidence to have a great year and then of course enter free agency next year or possibly have the angels extend him for a longer term but i think iglesias of course was one of our top guys to return back to the um, pitching staff and then of course also going out and getting a big starting pitcher and then of course fixing up the bullpen fixing up the rotation um, I think every Angel fan would agree Lorenzen of course is still the biggest question mark we just don't know what we're going to get from but at least it's nice that we're being so aggressive in the pitching market yep. this offseason finally it just seems like years and years go by and we just 
look away from this problem when we know what the big problem is that's always starting pitching for the Angels, and hopefully they can really address it next uh, next uh, season. But Alex, I'll move to another team that got a you know very high-powered starting pitcher, and that is the Seattle Mariners. So, of course, last week we talked about got Frazier from the Padres, a nice contact bat, but now they went out and spent the big money uh, on Robbie Ray, AL Cy, Cy Young winner, Robbie Ray, for the 2022 season and beyond. This is a five-year, $115 million deal. It's about $23 million AAV. Thoughts on kind of what the Mariners are are doing so far? Yeah, it definitely was a pickup I didn't see them making, but it's obviously good for them. Ray is someone who is not going to be able to get a sub, you know, whatever it was. I think it was like a 2-8 ERA. 2-8 ERA, yep. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that, you know, the, the next couple of seasons in a row or anything like that. But definitely someone, when you see the innings pitched he did, we know the strikeout numbers are very impressive for him. He always had a trouble walking too many guys. He used to be the guy who was just famous for strikeouts and walks and could not, you know, uh, balls wouldn't go and play, but he would just walk, walk batters in essentially. And he really fixed that this year. And that's what made all the difference for him. Um, so if he can keep that walk number down, he could be the ace that they need in order to say, we want to we want to make the postseason and we want to yep. make a, a big push for the World Series in the next you know three four years. He can be the number one if he keeps that kind of stuff up. So overall, Travis, they had ninety wins last year, but uh, if you look at their Pythagorean win loss percentage, which that just means it's their expected wins and losses based on run differential. They had a negative run differential. Terrible, yeah. They were a seventy six win team by Pythagorean win loss uh, record. So interesting. Um, that, I, I was looking at something today, and the the Blue Jays, I think, had like 180 run differential, but they right. were a fourth-place team and did not make the playoffs. And you look at the Mariners, they both had the same record, but they had the, the teams same were record. just different stories. Absolutely agree. Yeah, the, the Blue Jays, you can almost say they kind of got screwed by they just— they blew teams out, and then they would win, they would lose by just a little bit, and it just ended up costing them in the long run. But the Mariners, Travis, are a team that I think they need to add more, obviously. Um, and— Robbie Ray is a good first step for them, absolutely, in, in their rotation. Um, other bright spots, like Gilbert, you know, uh, up-and-comer for sure. But I do expect them to add more position players, some other versatility picks. Uh, you know, I thought they were going to be on Chris Taylor, but he ended up staying with the Dodgers. We'll get to that later. But, um, yeah, I think overall the Mariners are in a good spot to keep growing. I think they still have a good amount of work to do, though, before they make a a serious presence in the division. I'll say that. Yeah, definitely. They're a young team. They got a lot of young, big prospects still um, coming out into, uh, the, into the show. Absolutely. Um, we're going to see it, probably a lot of them next year. But yeah, they definitely have some uh, some room to grow. I know they that they they have some positions that are still open, and I think they're hungry this year. At least from the Robbie Ray signing, it shows that they're really hungry. Now, Alex, let's move on to another division that really has made a big impact. I feel, and I I think you'll feel the same way. That is the NL East. Mm. Um, we'll start with the big one, the big fish. I think the big free agent acquisition this off season, Max Scherzer breaking the record, Max Scherzer, three years, $130 million, $43 million a year. AAV. All I can say is in a playoff game, playoff series, I should say DeGrom Scherzer. I don't like my chances very much when I have to face those two guys. Uh -huh. thoughts on that big huge deal yeah obviously a monster contract for a player that you know despite being a, a future hall of famer 
put up a kind of career second half for sure for the Dodgers, worked himself to his absolute limits to get them to, to try to get them the first seed in the division. And when they did not get there, they trusted him for the wild card game and he delivered, trusted him against the Giants to get a big save in a close game five. He delivered, um, ran out of gas there at the end. So there might be a tiny bit of concern there, but I do think all signs are pointing to him having, you know, a completely normal uh, off-season training schedule right now. Uh, medically, there's no issues. So, um, obviously, it's a great pickup. I think everyone in their wildest dreams wishes their team could get Max Scherzer for a two- or three-year deal just for the next uh, short window of time. The Mets are a team, Travis, who want to win and be aggressive and, you know, lots of respect for that. They missed out on Steven Matz, and they went full beast mode and just made the Definitely. biggest splashes you could imagine. Um, I think when we were just finished off our last podcast, Travis, we were saying that they got the position players, but they need the starting pitching and they addressed it immediately when we were done recording pretty much. Um, still think there's still more work for them to do though, just because, uh, you have this amazing, amazing all time one, two punch. Yeah. yeah. And then you still have guys like Carrasco in the middle and stuff. But, uh, I think Taiwan Walker might be still there as well, but Based on the other guys that have signed Travis in the last few days, we know that their options are kind of limited, and they still have a four and five that need to be probably a bit better. If you're gonna, you know, you know, God forbid any injuries to Degrom or Scherzer, you could just completely crumble as a pitching staff. Definitely, if you rely on those two guys too much. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's still more work to do, Travis. I actually want to ask you a quick little kind of trivia—not a trivia question, just kind of a little debate question. I want to hear your thoughts. Okay. So this off season so far. The New York Mets have gained Max Scherzer, Stalin Marte, Mark Canna, and Eduardo Escobar. Great additions. Definitely. They have lost, so far, Marcus Stroman, Rich Hill, uh, Peraza went to the Yankees, Syndergaard to the Angels, Loop, they lost Baez, and then uh, someone named Eikhoff to the Pirates. Angels just keep stealing. (laughs) So, Travis... Losing all those guys so far and just adding those four pieces, do you think that they've improved, gotten worse, or remained about the same? Yeah, you know, I would say that probably leaning towards, you know, I would probably lean towards, of course, the middle of stayed the same and improved. Um, I don't think they've gotten worse. I, of course, really like the big offensive acquisitions they have gotten in, you know, Starling Marte, Canna. And Eduardo Escobar, I think I told you last week, you know, all three of those guys, if you combine them all and you look at war, it's about 10 wins. So you got 10 wins from these guys. So I think they're going to be very valuable guys um, come time to play in the order. And and honestly, might have really good, uh, you know, situations with them being utility guys, you know, switching in for different people on different days. Um, The big thing is, I think that they had a on paper, they had a great one through five pitching staff in 2021 right now in my opinion they just have a one and a two that's an a plus and i think that they have a three four five possibly six that we're looking at maybe b minus probably that's c, probably generous yeah c minus d you know grade level so i think that that's the big thing that's going to have to be addressed i think we all get so blown away with oh my god they have a one two punch like no other almost an mlb history but you look at the rest of the rotation you're kind of just like uh, you know, I mean, that might win you two games, but throughout the week, you might get two wins out of, you know, six, seven games in one week. And it's like, 
well, we won those two games with DeGrom and Scherzer. So I would say they definitely stayed the same, if not got a little bit better. But I think there's still some areas they need to improve, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I agree they got a little bit better for sure. I just think that we get so much hyped up on the Scherzer deal. And it is a huge deal. And Mets fans should be very happy. They are very happy. But it is kind of interesting. When you kind of look back, they are losing Hill, Stroman. Syndergaard didn't pitch last year, but still. Imagine if you just kept those guys instead of signing Scherzer. It's probably kind of similar because you at least have like the like more depth at least I exactly. guess. Exactly, but it, it, it's almost like would you rather have Scherzer or would you rather have Stroman and Gosman back? You know, it's almost like would like you that. rather? That's why I always say would you rather have like this A plus player or like three B plus players? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like I rather have three B plus players who are going to be reliable um, in that. So you know, with the money they gave him in three years you know let's hope that he can really you know stay healthy and i think we we brought up a couple days ago you know Degrom might be a free agent i think in a couple seasons if not maybe next season. it might be next season and I'm, so i'm it, sure they're gonna try to extend that but it's, it's funny that you know what what could happen is that we have one season of pure dominance maybe the mets make the playoffs maybe they miss the playoffs and then you have Degrom leaving and you're kind of just like the mets are back where they're at you know it, yeah. it's, it's funny yeah i completely agree uh that that little kind of Thought experiment was uh, tweeted by at Diamond Digest on Twitter. Definitely, uh, or just a kind of a head scratcher. Yeah, it, it kind of put into perspective how much they actually lost in free agency so far. Um, I saw those graphs, and it was it was like, wow, you don't really think how much they lost, and they gained definitely, you know, a lot in those pieces. Exactly, lot, but. exactly. But no, you're so right. You're so right. But um, moving on, Alex, let's go to, of course, another team in the NL East, and this team, you know, they're kind of on the rebuild. They're building up to, I think, like I keep on pointing. I don't know why I have this magic year in my mind, but 2025, I feel like I think it's half. It's the halfway point for the decade. And a lot of teams, I think, are building up for that point to really start competing. But the Miami Marlins. Uh, they made some moves that I think no one was really expecting and people are a little bit stunned that they're kind of going out aggressive and they think that, you know what, they have some, you know, players and some tools to really kind of make 2022 possibly a year where they can be something, you know, proud of it. I think 2020, everyone got lost. Of course, they made the playoffs after such a long drought, but of course, I think we all we can it was all agree. Shortened and a lot of teams got in. Yeah, <laughs> it would never happen in a full season. So the Marlins made the playoffs. Actually, won a playoff series against the Cubs. But this year, Alex, they have gained a couple players. They currently on Sunday signed Avisel Garcia, the star Brewer right fielder, to a four-year, fifty-three million dollar contract. They made a huge extension with Sandy Alcantara, which. You know, I, I can tell you from my fantasy team, I was really happy with him this year. Yep. Um, did exceptionally well. Five years, $56 million. So a very nice AAV of $11 million a year for a stud pitcher for what he did this year. And then they did a trade with the Pittsburgh Pirates and got Jacob Stallings, the gold glove winner, behind the plate for their next uh, catching position for the Marlins. So what do you really make of these Marlins moves as they kind of, you know, get some of these really good names or at least get some of the extensions and, you know, try to build something for 2022. Yeah. Uh, I think the AAV, like you mentioned on Alcantara and also, well, I think Stong is on, not on a very high paid deal either. Not at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, combining the Alcantara and the Aviso Garcia, uh, AAVs, like I think the amount of money they're going to commit to these Less guys. Less than 25 every, mil. Yeah. I think it's great value for what you're probably going to get from these guys. Alcantara, uh, I'm I'm pretty surprised that he went with that deal. I mean, it's it's kind of scenario where when you get guaranteed money, sometimes you say I better just take that. I had a really good year. If I have a bad year next year, if I get hurt, that money could just be gone out of my pocket pretty much. So it makes sense why some guys jump on the guaranteed money. 
he saw 50, 50 some million guaranteed and said, boom. But I do think that on an open free agent market, he probably gets more than that. I Definitely. think he gets, you know, above 15 million AAV for probably a similar number four or five years, something like that. He's still young and, you know, he was, he was a total boss for them this year for sure. Um, I assume he'll continue doing it because he's uh, seems like he's getting better and better. Yeah. Obviously, Garcia had kind of a, a nice breakout year, a really good year for him. Uh, and it almost left a hole for the Brewers. I think they're going to have to fill now, which they're already kind of working on that. But, uh, yeah, I think the Marlins overall, them being a bit aggressive here, I think it's a result of I don't blame them because last year you just see about the halfway point of the season – no one wants to win that division for the longest time. <laughs> yeah. The Braves, of course, finally stepped up after those big acquisitions that everyone's been talking about for, you know, on and on. But the Marlins should have the same mindset of if we just, you know, add 10, 15 wins to our team this year in the offseason, all of a sudden we're in the hunt halfway point. Definitely. Maybe a big trade deadline happens. You know, that could have been us almost, you know, probably not because the Braves, you know, have been yeah. there and done that. But it's just kind of interesting how that division even though the Mets are being active and the Braves are going to get Acuna back, they still are kind of saying it's a little bit more up for grabs than people might think. So they're just going to get some good talent on some good deals and see where it takes them. And I really don't, I, I think they also are, you know, have the mindset of, you know, we don't know what the playoff structure is going to look like next year. We could have a, you know, another big playoff structure and somehow we can squeeze our way in possibly, uh, with that so i mean kudos to them for really kind of going in bigger now again i think they're kind of like the rangers i don't think their time is yet but at least they're kind of building up for that uh to make a push in a couple of years for you know a playoff spot in that division but uh the last team you know it's funny we talk about um you know the mets and the marlins and then now i want to talk about the phillies Mm -hmm. um with their acquisition but the last two full season world series champions really quiet I mean, the Nationals, of course, I don't really think they have really too much to be, I'm not going to say proud of, but I don't think they're going to be really hunting too much in the next couple of years with the team that they have. And then the Braves right now, um, really, of course, uh, people are kind of scratching their heads on, you know, why isn't Free- Freddie Freeman locked up for them yet? So we're well, kind of wondering what the Braves really have to offer for some of their, you know, free agent acquisitions. But like you said, Acuna is going to be coming back next year. That's kind of a huge uh, acquisition for them to come back much like trout with the angels but mm-hmm. uh moving on to the phillies alex they acquired Corey knable who last year of course had a very very nice season for the dodgers a two four five era uh with them for the entire season he didn't pitch too much too many innings only 25 innings pitched last year for the dodgers um i think he was very you know influential in the playoffs we saw him a lot in the playoffs come in when i feel like some of those starters exited the games early and he did very well he even was used as an opener exactly you're right you're right him and trinan were used in very good ways for the dodgers where um you know it it wasn't like himself back in the in the brewers system in 2017 and 18 when he was a total stud and a closer for them but had a very nice you know six seventh inning guy role came in and did the job and clean you know cleaned the inning up uh if he had to but what do you make of that with the Phillies? I know the Phillies in 2020 were one of the worst bullpen teams, I think, in LV history. But, of course, with the 60-game season, we can't really blame them too much with those numbers. But uh, starting to, I guess, kind of clean up that bullpen, what do you make of that deal? Yeah, I think I have a little bit of a theory on that just because I know Rezal Iglesias was someone who was highly targeted by many teams. I'm almost positive the Phillies were probably in on him just because – they need the pitch. They need the the bullpen pitching. I think everyone knows that they need the, the bullpen pitching. I think the Dodgers were on Iglesias as well, amongst I'm sure other teams. But I had this theory that once Iglesias goes, uh, picks a team, 
everyone else is going to kind of try to grab up the rest of the relievers. And like a couple hours, I think, after the Iglesias signing, uh, Canable got grabbed by the Phillies. And to me, that was just kind of told me that the Phillies, they thought they just missed on Iglesias. And they said, let us try to do what we can to fill out this bullpen. Canable, I think, is a very good pickup. But it's kind of interesting. I did have this like thought in my head, like, they just grabbed Canable. I'm sure like all these other teams too are going to try to grab up the rest of the relievers Definitely. because they're probably kind of waiting to see what the market looks like and where Iglesias goes. I'm sure Jansen's still also waiting. Um, Jansen that will probably be another kind of domino where like once he signs, other teams will follow follow up and say, oh, we didn't get Jansen. What else can we do here? I think Canable was a good option for the Phillies to fill in the bullpen, but at the same time, a lot more moves need to happen for them to become a playoff team because, you know, him alone is not going to you know, move the needle too, too much. Definitely, definitely. Um, that kind of wraps up, of course, with the NL East. Uh, just, yeah, some, some crazy moves by some of those teams. It's nice to see at least the teams that have not made the playoffs or were not playoff teams for the past couple of years really starting to make some noise in this free agency. It, it, it's something I think we really haven't seen before. We're not seeing uh, too much noise, of course, from you know Atlanta, Houston, uh, that even the Dodgers and that much of the Yankees. So uh, really cool to see some of these teams really making some noise. Alex, I have two teams now that I kind of want to talk about that. In my opinion, I have I have written down under my section. It's it's kind of these random deals. I mean, I don't really see these teams uh, competing too much in 2022. One of the teams might be a surprise, but I don't see these two teams competing too much. That is the Chicago Cubs and the Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll start with the Cubs, Alex. They uh, went up, acquired one of the big free agent uh, pitchers on the market, Marcus Stroman. Uh, honestly, I think a couple hours before the, even the deadline was you know, in place and the lockout started. So they got Marcus Stroman on a three-year, $73 million deal. And then they went ahead and got the catcher, Jan Gomes, on a two-year, $13 million deal. So they got, I guess, their number one and possibly their backup, if not their starting catcher, depending on what happens with Wilson Contreras. I know his name's been thrown out in the market, but thoughts on the Cubs. I mean, I I don't really know what to think of them next season. What what really is is the Chicago Cubs going to look like in 2022? Yeah, I think that going into the offseason, no one had that much high hopes for them in terms of trying to get big pieces just because they just sold their big pieces. They just kind of committed to a bit of a rebuild by dealing Bryant, dealing Rizzo, dealing Baez. They clean shop, you know? Definitely. They clean shop. Uh, of course, uh, 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 closing pitcher. Oh, Kimbrel. Of course, Kimbrel as well. Yeah, they really just cleaned house in a big way. So. W- would have been funny if they cleaned house and then got them all back. <laughs> well, <laughs> they got prospects and also them all back would have been kind of like a we'll give you up for two months and then you'll come back to you know Chicago. That would have been a pretty funny prank on the rest of the league. But yeah, I I think that you know, I guess giving the fans a little something to be excited about is fun with the Stroman pickup. I'm really surprised that Stroman went with that deal just because we talked about it, Travis. It's a similar AAV. I think it's like a like one million more than like if you look at the like Gosman and Ray deals. I think he kind of almost in his head wanted to be a higher AAV, but just for it's just for three years. I feel like he could have got a bigger total payout if he went for like five years and like a slight dip on that AAV. But um, what I heard, Travis, what the rumor the rumor on Twitter was his agent like hit him up and said the Cubs are interested, and he just drove to LAX. And flew to Chicago and met with the team. He liked what he heard, did the physical, and signed. And that <laughs> that's just like so bizarre to me. It's like, 
did you not have a meeting with these other teams? Maybe you could have got more, or maybe he just felt like he knew what his market was um, and saw the AAV and said, boom, let's go. But overall, uh, it's, it is an interesting deal. And I also saw Travis, he tweeted out, like, I think yesterday, like, at Carlos Correa, like, come to Chicago, man. And honestly, I, I can't see that happening. That'd be so surprising if that happened. But if the Cubs try to add a couple pieces here, they could be like the Rangers almost in my mind where they could just have a few amazing bright spots on their team with a lot of other kind of question marks or at least guys developing where you're not sure how it's going to time up well. But in that division, Travis, I mean, Brewers looked good last year. Cardinals looked good last year. But, um, you know, the Cubs, you know, they could knock on the door kind of quickly, more quickly than you would expect if things work out in their favor. But obviously adding Stroman and Gomes is not going to, you know, move the needle a ton. Yeah. Uh, interested to see how they approach the rest of the offseason. Yeah, and I think definitely right now you'd say, of course, Cardinals, Brewers are easily, you know. Top two favorites. Way the better division. than the Cubs. Yeah. And then, of course, I would even say right now, even with the roster they have, um, with even Cassianos leaving, the Reds have to be, of course, a better team than the Cubs, I feel right. like, too. Yeah. Even that just that pitching staff p- is p- a lot pen- better. Pending any trades. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So the Cubs, of course, I think, I, I, I don't, I mean, it seems like they're trying to, you know, get some players, but I don't know if they're 100% in. So it's kind of a confusing uh, couple deals for the Cubs. But the next team, Alex, uh, the Boston Red Sox. Last year, I mean, what, they were two wins away from a world series visit we were kind of just shocked from what they did the last you know the two weeks into october we were just i mean what they did to the yankees what they did to the rays and then what they did to the to the astros for the first three games we were just i mean i I couldn't believe it um they made some deals uh kind of just low-key under the radar not too exciting uh deals but they they've made deals and so i think last week we talked about they got michael waka um who was a ray last year wasn't really a crazy big name i think he had some decent games but era i think was well north of four and mm-hmm. so he wasn't really a huge pickup uh and i feel like like we said if, if the rays can't get anything out of him who else can right so we really don't know what that's going to bring and then they go out and sign james paxton who a couple years ago for the seattle mariners was an all-star pitcher a great pitcher but he of course is getting older and older and older didn't pitch really at all last season he only pitched one and one third inning and then of course got injured for the seattle mariners and everyone kind of just wondered i wonder what this guy's going to be doing you know next year because he only signed a one-year deal with the mariners so he signs a one-year deal with the red sox then they go out and get the 42-year-old Rich Hill, a left-handed Rich Hill uh, on the free agent market. And Rich Hill last season, of course, again, he had a good season. I, th- I think he was with the Rays the first half, if it's if I'm not mistaken, or was the Mets the first half? It was the Rays. The Rays the first half. Okay, and then got traded. And we kind of were just thinking, huh, I wonder if the Rays just know something like Rich Hill. Rich Hill's season's done. They got the best they can get out of him, and they gave him to the Mets. But had an overall decently good season. But Alex, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago with Eduardo Rodriguez. He is a left-handed pitcher, and the way Fenway's designed is the left field. The left field wall is the green monster. Right. It's going to favor righties. It's interesting that they have so many lefty pitchers on this rotation right now, as we've seen from Hill, Paxton, and of course Chris Sale. I feel like it would just be a field day for right-handed hitters to just play pepper with that green monster really interesting kind of acquisitions i don't really know what to make of what the red Sox are doing right now give me kind of your thoughts on that yeah so the red Sox, i didn't really believe in them last year and they ended up being you know a they proved us all wrong an alcs (laughs) team that put actual pressure on the uh the houston nationals of course in the alcs but 
Yeah, Travis, I can't say that I'm fully on board for the deals that I guess that they're making right now. Um, I just am not super hot on, you know, Waka or Hill going forward. Um, Paxton also is someone who is older, uh, at least getting older. And after a full year of injury, there's definitely a question mark there of how much time will it take for him to bounce back. Chris Sale, Travis, is someone who they already have, of course, but had the same deal, came back from an injury, didn't look sharp from the get-go. Uh, I think he also had a COVID uh, outbreak, so yeah, that yeah. also affected his ability, I'm sure, to you know, be well-trained and well-rested and all that kind of stuff. But um, at the end of the day, the Red Sox, to me, Travis, right now, I would not have tons of I don't have tons of hope in them and belief that they're gonna you know repeat what they did last year unless they make a lot more moves. Um, their bats are still really good. They still have their really good core. Um, I'm sure they can still add more pieces as well. I'm sure that they're in on you know some of the remaining you know middle infielders and you know I don't know what they're gonna do about second base. Um, they could use Kike at second base and get an outfielder instead. Tons of outfielders in the market still. Yep. Um, I'm sure they're gonna be in on, but I have not really reshined Schwarber. Have not really. Uh, done a whole lot to, I feel like, give the fans a, a huge excitement about uh, we're going to try to run this back, yeah. you know? Yeah. So uh, I'm still kind of questionable. Um, I believe they just did a trade, Travis, if you want to give us like, the, the, the details on that. Um, it kind of adds a bit of a piece in the outfield, but I'm not sure I like it either. Yeah, and it was funny. It was kind of like the big buzzer beater of the uh, MLB free agency because yeah. it happened right before the, uh, the lockout took place. But... Um, you got to love it if you're this other team, the Milwaukee Brewer, Brewers, Brewers. Um, they acquired Hunter Renfro from the Boston Red Sox, who was, in my mind, I think in all, all of our minds, was a very nice bat for the Red Sox last year. 31 home runs, uh, you know, over a two war and a 112 OPS plus. They, of course, will swap a couple of prospects, but the big name going to Boston is Jackie Briley Jr., of course, who was a Red Sox. Uh, center fielder on that World Series championship team. Great defender, but last year, Alex, I don't know if you could do much worse on the hitting side. Right. A, a 163 batting average, a 34 OPS plus, and then, of course, an OPS below 500. Really didn't do much of anything last year. And I think the Brewers, of course, did not like starting him too much. I think he was a lot, really, at times, more of a defensive substitution. Got a lot of games in last year, but. I feel like the Brewers were, you know, not really comfortable starting him. They get kind of a big win and a big offensive bat in Renfro. Uh, thoughts, of course, on that trade deal. I, I think we both know who really won that trade. Yeah, I'm definitely leaning towards favoring the Brewers on that deal. Um, I don't know what the Red Sox really want to get out of Jackie Bradley Jr. going forward. Uh, a negative base reference war for him last season is definitely just not a place you want to start your resume with um and then combine that with the fact that Charles he also makes more money than when Renfro so you're yeah. going to be paying him more than you would have been paying Renfro 12 Ren million dollars left yeah Renfro probably um was adding more value for cheaper you get you did get some prospects back so if you're kind of trying to take a long view it could end up being a very useful deal um but I do like it for the Brewers cuz like we mentioned earlier Travis Brewers lost Avisel Garcia uh, big right-handed bat, uh, and they're getting it back with Renfro almost in a very similar way. Maybe not quite the same bat, but a very good glove and arm out there in right field for the Brewers. Um, I think it makes sense too because they probably have uh, Lorenzo Cain in center field, 
So this is like a real right fielder they're going to have in, in Renfro. And then and a great arm. Yelch yeah. is a real left fielder. So it's, it kind of rounds things out into like everyone's in the right positions almost in my mind. Um, exactly. I do like it for the Brewers. Brewers will we'll get we'll probably talk about them later on, but they still need to add more bats. They're Definitely. not they're not there yet in terms of you know. But this was a good step for them to get a trade done that gave them a bat that's going to be good and get rid of a contract that I think is not working out for them. So. Yeah, and I think we talked about a little bit earlier on that you know our thoughts were Brewers might be in on someone like Castellanos that of course would cost a lot of money and now of course getting a cheaper option like Renfro he offers of course a great power bat was great with the Rays in 2020 and then of course last year with the Red Sox I think got a lot of clutch moments with the Red Sox uh I know Red Sox of course were really happy with what he did um during the playoffs and of course throughout the season but yeah really just kind of a a head scratcher i think when it comes down to that deal people were just really thinking i don't know what the red Sox are thinking i don't know what i mean the brewers are thinking yeah we'll take them i mean we'll, we'll give away jackie bradley for this guy who's going to be cheaper and better so it's a win for them but i i, I think Travis, i'm not one to tell uh a chain bloom you know what's up because mm-hmm. he definitely is he's from the Rays organization and he went and beat the Rays in a, in a really big series so he designed a great team last year that got the job done to everyone's surprise so I'm not going to tell him you know what deals are good and bad I do trust him as much as any GM probably to you know get the job done but it, there's obvious question marks with that deal definitely. I'll say that yeah definitely I, I, maybe if, if anything he has something in mind with the prospect that was given um, yeah, maybe so. Not too sure, of course, what the position player, what what they do, if it's a pitcher or or a position player. It might be one of each, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, but. okay, but who knows? We'll see what happens there. But um, yeah, that deal, of course, was done with the Red Sox. So those are kind of the two teams, Cubs and Red Sox, that made some kind of interesting deals that we don't know what really was going to happen, um, you know, in 2022 and in the future. But Alex, going down, of course, the list, we have a couple more notable deals that were done. Um, of course, the past couple of days. And I'll start with, of course, Kevin Gosman going to the Toronto Blue Jays. Five years, $110 million. It's about $22 million AAV. Thoughts on kind of what the Blue Jays are building? Yeah, it definitely was a step in the right direction. I think their rotation got a lot scarier, I would say. Um, Gosman, Ryu, Barrios. Yeah, Barrios. Pretty good. Yeah, in your four, you probably got like Manoa, who uh, had a great first season last year. I think got some rookie of the year votes. Um, and then five hole, you know, stripling you still have, but then you're probably hoping if not 2022 towards the end of the season, at least 2023, hoping Pearson can make a step Definitely. into the pros. They're, you know, one of their prized prospects. Everyone's heard his name for a while. He does throw gas. So yeah, I think their rotation is rounding out to be stronger than before. Um, especially a bounce back here from Ryu could help him that much more. And if Barrios can kind of settle in for the whole season, it would be awesome for them as well. Um, yeah. Their bats, there's no question there, right? Their bats are going to be some of the best in baseball. Getting this rotation figured out and established is the next piece of that puzzle, and they've done good with that so far. Now, you know, might need a couple more bullpen additions, but I think they're rounding out into a serious contender for that division. Definitely, definitely. They finished the the season last year, I think, honestly, as one of the hottest teams in baseball. I feel like if you would have had an extended playoffs, the Blue Jays honestly would be the team probably with the world series trophy i just i just could not the the way they finished the last week of the season was incredible i mean they put a beat down on the last weekend of course but didn't make the playoffs but the next big of course deal that happened was javier baez to the detroit tigers on a six-year 140 million uh dollar deal 23 million dollars aav they now have eduardo rodriguez and now they have their shortstop javier baez 
kind of, of course, again, building for the future as the Tigers are. And that division, besides the White Sox, it's really wide open. I mean, the second spot in the division, in my opinion, is extremely wide open. Thoughts, of course, on Baez going to the Tigers. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, always pro teams being aggressive on the market and spending money and getting their guys. But I just think you and I both, Travis, agree that Baez is not one of our prime candidates when we think about our team trying to go get a shortstop yeah mm-hmm. the defense is going to be probably great a great arm as well um and has a lot of you know charisma and confidence that probably helped that clubhouse uh get an identity because there's a lot of young players so yeah. there's yeah. things there's things to like for sure but i think the plate discipline travis is just some of the worst in baseball <laughs> Definitely. and um it yeah it's just some of the numbers on plate discipline it just it kind of shows that at the plate there's pop and there's not much else when he's not making contact. I mean, he it gets, the, it gets bad. There's so many funny gifs of like the balls like halfway to the plate, and he's already he's already way he's already the bat, the barrel's already crossing the plate. He just like is way out in front or, or whatever it may be. He's just chasing balls. Um, towards the towards the end of the season last year, Travis with the Mets, his on base percentage was pretty good, and that is for one reason that I saw a, a little study on Twitter about, and some guy did some research. And the only reason is on base was so much higher is because teams stopped throwing him strikes because they're like, this guy's going to chase everything. Hmm. Let's just let him swing away. Yeah. And he took some more walks. But once people start pitching to him again and kind of, you know, start tricking him out, I have not much confidence he's going to be a great hitter. Um, I think his best years to play are probably behind him. But, Travis, um, I really feel like they kind of missed their shot at Correa. I think it makes sense if their mindset was just like, we don't want to give – over 300 million to one guy when we still have lots of holes in our team and we're not sure yep. which prospects and which young rookies are going to end up developing into you know mainstays and starters for the future they don't know what the roster is going to look like in, in two years it yeah. could be a lot different or mm-hmm. it could be you know maybe i'll, I'll tell you one thing no miggy <laughs> well that's true but uh, there's tons of guys who are probably going to continue to improve and you want to fill those holes accordingly so it makes sense if they don't want to spend all their money on just one guy. But I think Correa was a great chance for them to make a push next year, honestly. Because the White Sox, Travis, they're a good team. They have a lot of talent. But I don't have that much confidence in them to be like a dominant force in the division for an extended amount of time, if that makes sense. Great young talent. But I think guys like Abreu took steps back that we kind of saw coming. Moncada um, is continuing, continuing to develop. But, you know... If Robert can't be like their next Mike Trout or whatever you yeah. wanna you wanna say, like I think there could be some concerns for how long this little dynasty is gonna last of theirs in, in their division. So I think the Tigers putting pressure is very smart. I think they can be a, a serious threat in the next couple seasons, but Baez is not the shortstop I think that I would have gone with. He's definitely towards the bottom of my list. Um I guess they wanna save some money at the shortstop position, but I think if they got Correa it would have been a really big deal. I think it could have really helped in the division next year. but Yeah, and that would have been a good deal for at least the next like 10 years because I know Correa is looking for a 10-year deal. Yeah. Uh, and it would have been, of course, something I think a bright spot that Tigers were looking at maybe like, you know, the the last five years of the decade or something like that. And it's where, a piece to build around, really. Exactly. Whereas Baez, I'm not sure, is that, that guy. Exactly. And I'm really interested to see next year. Um, I will give – I'm not going to give, of course, the White Sox a huge pass because it was kind of like they won their division in, in June. I mean, they really were just kind of just – gliding easily right to the playoffs there was really no problems or hiccups i want to see of course a full season of luis robert and of course uh jimenez i want to see a full season from both of those and see how kind of it transpires and how the record goes of course we don't know if they're going to bring back rodan so right now it's really a lance lynn show over there 
and yeah, just kind of see how that division goes. I honestly do not. Um, I'm confident that I think the Twins could even have a little bit of a bounce back too. I think that they, it was funny, I think last year in Vegas, their odds were, of course, the second best to win the division. So I feel like they have these bounce back years where they just kind of go into a weird funk and then they come back and will win like, you know, 82 to 85 games next year. And it's kind of just like, oh, the Twins are kind of like making some noise too. Who knows? the, The success of that Twins team, Travis, is banking a lot on one guy that we can talk about now. And that's exactly what I'm going to bring up. Yep. <laughs> so Byron Buxton, for those that don't know, signed a very unique extension. Uh, Travis, go ahead and give us the details on that. Yeah. So Byron Buxton, of course, and this was actually the first thing that happened on Sunday after we recorded. I remember I we, think we, we walked into the kitchen and it was done. Yeah, it was done. We were just like, oh, my God. I mean, when you look at this deal, Alex, you got to say the twins got a steal. They got a complete steal, kind of like the Wander Franco. But with Byron Buxton, um, he's a special and unique player. The Twins extended him for a seven-year, $100 million extension. Alex, the AAV for this deal is, you know, a complete freak of nature Buxton could be making. Actually, he will be making AAV $14.3 million a year. I can't tell you um, what really this deal compares to. I mean, he's the kind of guy that should be getting possibly Trout and Betts money if he is able to play 150 games, if he stays healthy. Right. Um, thoughts on the deal, Alex? Yeah, Travis, one month into the season last year, he was the, I think, the lock, the leader for AL MVP running. He was just hitting like like crazy. And Travis, we all know that the glove, the arm, and the speed are going to be some of the best in all of baseball every time, no matter what. The bat and can you stay in the lineup is the question. And the bat really took a big step last year. It looked very impressive. And it comes down to the fact, Travis, I think he played like 60 games, had like a 4.5 or something like that. Exactly. It was it, at that kind of pace, you're talking about an MVP year without question. He could have, if he played 160 games, it would have put serious pressure on Otani. Easily. Uh, I think it's almost like if you had Guerrero, but a little bit better of a hitter, but you're also playing center field at great defense and stealing probably 30, 40 bags. But what, yeah, it, it's definitely just a crazy, crazy five tool nature to this guy. Um, and Travis, the thing that makes or breaks the deal is of course, if he's healthy, but if he does become this MVP guy that stays healthy, he gets these bonuses, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and and I, I can share them with you right now. Yeah. I know um, with the twins and in the agreement, they had different kind of thresholds for uh, MVP finishes. So basically starting at the top, if you win MVP, uh, if Buck, if Buxton wins MVP any years of that seven years, he will get an $8 million bonus. If he finishes second, he'll get seven mil third in the voting. He'll get six mil and then five mil for fourth, four mil, for fifth place and of course sixth through tenth place which very doable if he's on the field a sixth through tenth finish is he, almost a lock he, he could do 120 games exactly and just be the all-star he is and then he'll could easily get that yeah. exactly and so if he finishes sixth through tenth in the mvp voting he will get a three three million dollar bonus so it's almost like crazy that you can think it's almost a lock if he's healthy he will be getting 21 million dollars added because you can definitely think he'll be a six through ten finish in the mvp uh, voting, you know, looking back, Alex, even on his 2020, um, I'm sorry, his 2021 season played 61 games. I compare that to the 2020 season. He had a four, five, 4.5 war in 2021. If he would have played that in 2020, 
he would have had over a one one war higher than the leader Mookie Betts. Mm-hmm. Betts finished with three point six war in twenty twenty. Buxton would have just blew him out of the water. It yeah. was an insane month, and of course, an insane sixty games to watch him play. Some other comparisons I want to, of course, go over is looking at if you combined twenty nineteen because they didn't play too many games in twenty nineteen, and you combine that with twenty twenty and also 2021 he has about 684 plate appearances i looked at a couple players this season that had that many or more bo bichette and Semyon easily had more plate appearances this season so i just looked at it and if byron buxton would have played a full mlb season this year he would have finished with 56 doubles 42 homers 105 rbis from the leadoff position Mm -hmm. and then of course a 277 batting average a 321 on base and a 575 slugging, almost about a 900 OPS. Uh, pretty good, great, I would say, season. But the one thing that really rings a bell and it's just crazy to think about is he would have finished with a 9.6 war. He yeah. would have put up an MVP all-time caliber. great yeah. season. That would be something I would be looking at and saying, man, he really is challenging Otani because I looked at it and I would have compared it to something of like Willie Mays sorts. I mean, it would have been a truly remarkable comparison season when you look at the home runs, the war, the defense. Um, he's a unique, unique kind of kind of player. So, I I think it's a steal for the Twins, and I hope to God that you know both parties really work out really well. Yeah, I think it's a, like you said, a great deal for the team. And if he racks up those awards, he's going to get extra bonuses. So I'm sure he's happy with that as well. Uh, the Twins as a team, Travis. I'm not super hyped on. Uh, it's just just traded off Barrios. Uh, I don't know. I think that they have definitely some work to do, adding both pitchers and position players to kind of fill things out if they want to compete soon. But you're right. They could definitely be surprising, especially if they get Bucks in to kind of be an MVP force at the front of their whole their whole team pretty much. But definitely, yeah. definitely. So I think the big, of course, the big thing with him is health. Looking at his numbers, Alex, he has not played over 90 games since 2017. That is something that the Twins just really want it to be fixed this year. It's almost like an easy thing to accomplish is telling him, can you play 90 games this year? But it's something that hasn't been done. It's only been done twice in his career. So um, big thing for him, of course, is health. Maybe they even think about switching him to play left or right field to kind of take the, you know, take all the baggage off of his legs you know, prevent leg injuries by having him play center field. But I know him in center field. That's, There's so much value there. Th- that's kind of the rare position that he can do everything from that from that spot. So uh, Byron Bucks an extension with the Twins, kind of, of course, again, a great deal for the Twins. And we'll see, of course, what Bucks can do. But that kind of wraps up with the AL, the NL. There was a three other notable deals that happened. Um, Alex Cobb, we knew Alex Cobb very well last season, had a really good bounce back season. I think when he was traded, Last year, Alex, we were both just kind of, you know. Well, there's, there was not a lot to be excited about uh, when we were ho- – we knew the guys that were on the market. Exactly. Of course, Trevor Bauer, things didn't work out in that regard for him this season for, you know, legal reasons that I'm sure you guys are probably aware of. <laughs> yeah, but yep. he was someone that almost everyone wanted uh, after that 2020 Cy Young he won. And then we look on Twitter, Travis, and we wake up to, oh, Andrew's got a pitcher. Who's it going to be? Alex Cobb, we're like, oh, well, that's not really who we were expecting. But exactly. He certainly had a, like you said, a breakout bounce back sort of year. Um, and honestly, Travis, I think the Giants got on a pretty good deal. I think the, a- the AV is uh, very favorable for the Giants. I think also combine him with that Oracle Park, which is going to be, of course, pitcher friendly ballpark. 
not a lot of balls are going to be leaving the yard as much. Um, he was also a ground ball pitcher. And of course, uh, Crawford was a gold glover last season. Um, definitely some defense, uh, you know, I wouldn't say the most strong defensive team, but it's going to be good overall. And I do think that Cobb is going to be a great pickup for them. Um, with the one issue I have about him, Travis, is last year he pitched about 93 innings pitched. 93, exactly, yep. And that, the problem with that, he kept having this recurring blister issue that Angel fans know all about because we would just see him, oh, Cobb is missing a start today because of a blister. We had too many blister issues. <laughs> that stinks. And I think it, I think it's because it happened to Otani sometimes as well. And I think it's because of the splitter that they throw. Yeah. Otani is a splitter and Cobb is like a split changeup. But either way, Travis, we both know well that Cobb's um, blister issue, just seeing a guy from the bullpen get called up to start for the day, it just is never a great vibe when you're trying to win that game. Uh, and so honestly... He's someone I wanted to keep, but I had some hesitations, some reservations about re-signing him to a bigger deal just because can this guy get to 100, 100 innings pitched? Can this guy, you know, you want him to do more. You Hopefully, you get him, he gets 150, but yeah. he was not even close to that last year. Um, the On a rate basis, the ERA, it was good, and the FIP was actually very good. But um, we'll see how it looks this year uh, with the Giants. Maybe their staff, uh, the medical staff, the training staff can help them with those blisters and keep them from happening. But if that kind of becomes a recurring issue, um, it can be hard to rack up a lot of value with missing a handful of starts. But at the end of the day, for the amount they're paying, I think it is overall a good contract for both parties. Yeah, and you look at even at, um, you know, he had a 1.7 war last year and 93 innings pitch. If you double that, you know, most, you know, side, you know, most award-winning guys were getting around, you know, 180, 170 innings pitch. You know, you almost look at it. It's, it's about a 3-5 war, almost a 4 war. That's a great season for a starting pitcher, for especially for a guy like Alex Cobb, who yeah. we envisioned, uh, you know, being at the end of our rotation. I still remember even last year, I mean, looking at him uh, coming from Baltimore, uh, 2020 and 2019, um, you know, ERA north of five, if you combine both seasons and in both seasons, his innings pitch were just not anywhere we wanted to see. And so it was kind of a head scratcher did of course have a really good bounce back year, um, had his best year since 2017, since he was a Ray had a very good career at the Tampa Bay Rays. And then when he went to Baltimore, I think like any, everybody's career, except for Cedric <laughs> Mullins, it just kind of goes to hell. So, uh, you know, at least well a bounce back year, um, a great contract. And, you know, the Giants, they get him. They have Dee Sclafani, they have Alex Wood, and they have Logan Webb. A still really good rotation in San Francisco. I don't think it's as good, of course, as like a Dodgers or possibly, hopefully, a Padres bounce back. But it's a very good starting rotation in a pitcher's ballpark. Um, and we know Cobb is a ground ball pitcher. So I really wonder if he's going to give up you know, if, if anything, five home runs in Oracle Park, give up five home runs uh, all of last year. And so you really wonder if it's, it's almost going to be probably amazing. He'll just be a crazy ground ball pitcher at Oracle Park. Not many balls are going to get out when he's pitching. So um, good for the Giants kind of keep on building. I know he was um, in talks with them you know, weeks ago, but yeah, I, I the, was, the rumor's been there for a while. There was hope that the Angels could, of course, still get him back, but they didn't. It's okay. Yeah, you know, we'll move on. But that is, of course, the first trade and the I guess the first move that's done uh, in the NL West. The next one that is done is kind of another head scratcher, Alex. Mark Melanson to the Diamondbacks. Oh, yeah. Uh, two years, $12 million, about a $6 million AAV. He was he was elite. You know, he was really good last year for the first half, I guess, for the first, you know, you know, 
five months of the season or so me and you of course both talked a lot a lot about him during our all mlb teams he of course i don't know if he still led baseball in saves last year but was a very good pickup i, I think the issue was the Padres stopped winning games that's true so that's he stopped true. getting saves that's but true. yeah that's true so <laughs> melanson of course a good season had a good season with the braves the year before that so last couple seasons has been very nice and then he goes to you know one of the worst teams in baseball last year the arizona diamondbacks Alex, I guess the big thing for me is I see this deal as the Diamondbacks wanted to sign someone who could be very valuable in a trade later. We look at the trade deadline in, you know, July 31st, almost August 1st. You see tons of closers. You see tons of relief pitchers getting dealt at that time. I see the Diamondbacks signing a guy like this and saying, hey, he's having a great year. We're going to give you him. You're going to give us some prospects. We're going to, of course, are still trying to build for the future. Um, I, I kind of thought of it as a head scratcher, but as I see it now, it's kind of almost a smart deal. I mean, the Dimebacks are kind of looking at guys that they can get on short term deals and hope for the success that they become great pitchers. Uh, thoughts on, of course, the deal. Yeah, it makes sense as like future trade bait. Um, I completely agree that if he ends up showing out and, you know, posting like a two something ERA, you could easily trade him to a contender on the deadline and probably get a nice return. But um, yeah, he's the kind of pitcher who the last couple seasons he has been on contending teams. Padres, of course, yep. flamed out a second half of the season last year. But the idea was that he was going to be a closer for a playoff team with the Padres. Uh, it didn't work out. But the year before in 2020 was the closer on the Braves team that made the NLCS in the 60-game season. So obviously back-to-back years of having, uh, I guess, sub two eight eras <laughs> and, and and an important role on a good team but yes. this year opting to you know sign with the diamondbacks i wonder what his mindset is i guess it's kind of like let me get this money while i'm still uh, a solid pitcher before he you know he's obviously getting up there in age and you know his days his years in the mlb might be uh, running uh, kind of short so it makes sense to kind of get the money now a two-year deal has some guaranteed uh kind of guaranteed secure the bag a little bit but yeah overall definitely not a guy who's going to like improve the win total on the dynamax yeah. very much yeah. they needed to add a lot for that to happen and i feel like they're still probably overall more in sell mode than they are in buy mode or more in uh more interested in kind of getting prospects than they yeah. are yeah. acquiring talent because the division travis is too stacked right now it's in ran the by, NL West. It's ran by a couple of Giants, and the Giants are one of those teams. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the California teams are going to own it for a good few years here. Um, the Diamondbacks have to kind of sit back and wait. So I guess in terms of staying active, not a bad move. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think, you know, actually looking at it right now, he did lead baseball in saves last year with 39. So I, I know he's not going to reach that mark again this season. Um, I think he'll be lucky if he reaches 20, I feel like, with this uh, Diamondbacks team. But, again, get him, hope he's good, trade him, get some prospects. That's the Diamondbacks' mindset right now. Uh, Alex, the last deal that was done before the lockout happened, uh, you know, kind of a big deal. This guy, of course, was very under the radar, but I think a lot of teams were in on him, and that was Chris Taylor, CT3. He is going back to the Dodgers on a four-year $60 million deal. That's about $15 million AAV. You know, I think he was a big piece that Dodgers needed back. I, in my opinion, I thought losing Kike Hernandez and a couple of the other guys, losing Jock Peterson, I thought those were really big 
just under the radar bats and players that the Dodgers really missed in the playoffs. And I think they, I, I, you could really tell it in some big moments, some guys did not come up clutch. I think Lux, of course, was a big name that every Dodger fan will know as that really, you know, dropped the ball. <laughs> Literally, literally drop the ball at times. So I think Kike and Jock, both guys who can play, both guys that can play outfield, but Kike also can play infield. They really miss those big veteran leadership bats and players in their lineup and on their roster this season. Uh, Bringing back CT3, I think, is a very good step in, in, in the direction that they want to still go out and win a division. They, of course, came one game short last year. Uh but what do you make of that move for the Dodgers? Yeah, I think I like the comparison you make of Taylor to Hernandez and Peterson because they all got hot in the playoffs last year. Exactly. Yep. Um, and they all were players that if they all were still in the Dodgers, they definitely would have uh, helped them so much against the, you know, the Giants. They won that series, but the Braves, they fell short, of course. Um, Travis, I think, I think that Taylor is just my opinion. I think I heard some rumors about this too. I think he could have got quite a bit more somewhere else definitely i and think, I think so he too. made the decision i want to be a dodger i like this team i think we're really good and i think we have a chance to continue to compete these next few years for titles i'm sure he loves being in la and i'm sure he loves his teammates i think he made a personal decision as opposed to a financial decision yep um and if that's the way he wants to handle this then that's great for him uh i hope he's you know 60 million dollars guaranteed is great you know i think he could have got a little bit more because the season he had last year and also travis the postseason he had last year was monstrous i think i put i think i put him on my postseason that's right think, starting second baseman yeah i, I think and then you, you got him in the outfield right so we, I have in the outfield, we, we yep, both included yep. him he was a monster yeah. um so just with that in mind travis definitely a key piece that they definitely if he had gone somewhere else to like you know the red sox got kike the braves ended up having peterson had monster playoff series. If they saw Taylor be with another team in 2022 postseason, tearing it up, they would have probably regretted it. So I'm sure Dodgers are thrilled to have kept him. And it seems like he's happy to be back. So overall, it seems like a very much of a win-win. Um, I did honestly see him having a better chance to go to like a Mariners yeah, or... Going back to the Mariners. <laughs> I, I, imagine if he like wanted to go to the Red Sox and he and Kike are kind of this double threat of utility guys. They Very could true. kind of play anywhere. Or maybe the Yankees wanted to get him and they would have the Kike of their own. But like Very true. lots yeah. of interesting options I saw for Taylor. But at the end of the day, wanted to remain in Dodger blue. They have a good amount of options for him because of course he can play outfield, but he can also be one of their middle infielders mm-hmm. because... Mm-hmm. Um, right now, of course, I think that Lux, ideally you think he's probably ready to be a starter, but maybe you have more confidence in the veteran presence, a guy who's been on the team for a lot longer with Chris Taylor playing second base. Another option, Travis, there's this whole thing with Muncie right now, Travis. We don't know what to make of it, but he is apparently a little more injured than we thought at the end of the last season. So, yeah. uh, at first, there was rumors maybe Muncy could play second base, and Freeman, if they wanted to get Freeman, could be at first baseman, which yep. there are rumors for Freeman. But now, all of a sudden, maybe Muncy's not going to be ready for opening day. So they're not going to have anyone on their whole team that can play second base besides Luck. So you have Taylor there, um, also plays the outfield. Overall, he fits with the team very perfectly, I think. Um, and then even the playoffs, sometimes he was a, he was a 10th man. He was yeah. the man off the bench, and he came in for big spots and delivered. So overall... Uh, I think it's a win-win for sure. Yeah, it's crazy to think that if Muncy's not ready, and if they don't add any more infielders, you know, a Correa, which is just bizarre to my mind, if if he were to go to the Dodgers, but right. also a Freddie Freeman and Muncy cannot make you know 
the the roster on opening day, you'd almost think that they would put Chris Taylor at third and Turner, Justin Turner, at first base, and then maybe a Luck second and Trey Turner short. Um, and th- th- in the postseason, they're actually riding out with Bellinger at first. And I think that worked out not a great way. I think he he's has too, too much, athletic. He has too much value playing center field. I exactly. Believe. And we saw it too with the defense with Lux. You need a guy like Bellinger in center field and then Betts in right. I, I mean, anybody who plays against the Dodgers and hits the ball to center or the right side of the field, you know, you're not going to get many extra base hits if you keep it in play. Both right. those guys have A plus arms and A plus fielding. Uh, you know, I think it's the best play for them to put him in center. And then, of course, bats in right left field. Of course, Chris Taylor can play, but I think Pollock will definitely be manning that spot. I don't think they're done. I think that the Dodgers, uh, we know that I don't think they're just going to give up easily and right. just say, you know, this is it. The, the, the run's over. They gave bets so much money. I think that they expect to be competing this decade for at least the whole entire decade. So I think the Dodgers are going in it to make some more moves. Uh, maybe on the pitching side, maybe on the hitting side. I think also they have a lot of pieces to incorporate in some really sneaky trades. I think that they can be creative and possibly, honestly, I think Luck could be very well on his way out of the Dodgers organization. I think he's a very valuable piece, but I feel like the Dodgers are thinking, we don't have time to wait for you to develop in this season or or by next season. We want to win now. You're going to be out of here for a starting pitcher or for someone else. Who knows? I think Cattell Marte, of course, was linked in trades from the Diamondbacks. Would be kind of a crazy guy to get for the Dodgers to have as a middle infielder. A Cattell Marte, Trey Turner middle infield would be very special. But uh, Chris Taylor, at least signing him is really good. They got a left fielder. I got They got an outfielder, a shortstop, second baseman, third baseman. They got a guy that plays everywhere. So, yeah. um, and I feel like that's really, literally the Dodgers' entire roster. I feel like every player can play in so many different Versatility, positions, yeah. which is just kind of insane to have that Trey Turner can play short, second, and center field. Betts can play second and all of outfield. It, it's, Even their catcher, Will Smith, was a third baseman. Like, it's just funny. <laughs> it, it's it's honestly, I, if I were a Dodger, I mean, if I were a Dodger fan, yeah, if I, I'd be, I'd be, of course, really happy that everyone can play everywhere. Um, so that, of course, was the kind of the last big deal that was made, Alex, um, of course, before the lockout. So uh, CBA lockout has, uh, CBA has expired and the lockout is now um, present. And we, of course, do not know, of course, how long it will go. Some people are saying, you know, hopefully by the end of December. Some people are saying by January, end of January. Some people have also been saying February. So we could be literally in a two-month just kind of uh, halt mode. No one knows what's really going to happen. Hopefully they can come to something pretty fast. I know the last week of free agency and the offseason, the hot stove has been awesome. I mean, I think, yeah, I, think, I think it was $1.7 billion was spent in the last week. I, I, think, I think in november it was an all-time record it for was. money spent in a month by it teams. was yeah. it was it was crazy the last uh the last um you know couple days since sunday 60 percent of the signings have been pitching so it's literally just f- teams flexing their money with pitching they want to get more pitching they want to get deeper um with their rotations and their bullpen so it's kind of interesting to see as some of these sides you know negotiate terms but alex i kind of want to talk about of course some of the some of the big names that are left on the market um, I'll kind of name some of these out and we can talk a little bit, maybe where we think they're going to go. Of course, the big one, Carlos Correa. I, yeah. I know we had a little bit of talks on Sunday, but Carlos Correa, I mean, really it's interesting to see what his market looks like now because the Tigers are out. Uh, it, it, it seems like, you know, I know he's been linked to a lot of other teams, but I don't think Houston is in play. They gave him two offers that he just automatically rejected. Seager got a lot of money from Texas. So Texas yeah. is out. 
you know, it looks like to me it could be, you know, and, and we've heard from the Yankees not being interested in spending big money on him. I mean, I'm thinking he's going to want $350 million. He's going to want Lindor money. He should deserve Lindor money. He's been better than Lindor the past couple of years. So I totally get where he's coming at. But what do you see in that market? Yeah, I honestly thought Detroit was the move. And it looks like it's not happening because, of course, they got Baez. Uh, he deserves to get more money than uh, Corey Seager, and Seager just, you know, was great, great, right, great offer, yeah, right, right up there next to Lindor money. And so, I think that, uh, like you said, the Astros deal that they offered, I think it was like five years, hundred and seventy something like that. It was just yeah, not yeah. in the ballpark of what he wants. So I would AAV be, a little bit, but not the term. Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if they, you know. Are they really gonna like double their offer? Like it seems like that's almost like I don't see that happening. So it couldn't, of course, but I think in my mind right now, it's Yankees or one of the two LA teams. I think that the Yankees, um, they have not really been linked to like too high of spending and they have not the trust the thing is that they haven't really spent on anyone yet. They've really yeah. been quiet this whole offseason. So they could lump all their ideas together and say, let's just buy the biggest name. Going into the offseason, the biggest names were Scherzer and, of course, Correa. The biggest position player in Carlos Correa. If they just say, this is our guy, next 10 years, he's almost going to overlap with Cole. And, they're of course, former teammates. I think that in the long term could be, and it being great for the Yankees, he could be like their face, uh, leader of their team almost, him and Judge. Not sure how much longer Judge will be there. Um, I think he's a free agent in the next couple years. But, yeah, I think if it's not the Yankees, I'm not sure how many teams are left that are super, super in on him. Uh, the Dodgers are a team that I feel like they already have Trey Turner, and Trey Turner probably wants to play shortstop. And they just added, of course, Chris Taylor, who plays second base. Um, Muncie, if he's healthy, can play second base. It seems like they almost have plenty of middle infield options. But Travis, they had Corey Seager, and they went and got Trey Turner. So they're not, yeah. they're not afraid to double up if they need to just to be that much more stacked, I guess. So Correa... Honestly, I don't know how the fans would receive him, but it would definitely make them a lot better. It would make any team better. The Angels, Travis, I don't see really... Please, God. Yeah. I, I don't really see the ownership spending $350 million for a position player. It seems like a lot. Um, it is a lot. And even though shortstop is a need for the Angels, it seems like we all know that that money could give us more overall value spent on pitching to round out the team versus stacking one side exactly being the offense so and we've seen an offense stack i think the last five years we've seen them just stack the offense also gotta be thinking as an angel fan you know the extension of shohei otani is is looming it's coming up you got to see what you're going to give him of course we'll find out with the whole cba what the new agreements will be maybe the owners will have a lot more money to spend or maybe you know there'll be some different uh, restructuring with all that kind of stuff with the financials so um there's yeah. one there's one more spot in my mind that makes sense too and there's there's two big shortstops left i'm sure you're probably gonna bring up the other guy in a minute but story and correa are these two shortstops of this great class that are still on the table and i think the phillies need probably one of them definitely. at least they definitely want definitely. one of them and so Correa could make sense in the Phillies as well. I know that we know that Dombrowski is down to spend. You get him as your GM because you want him to spend your money. <laughs> you want him to build a team full of a stack team full of, you know, great caliber players. So Correa could make sense there. It'd be awesome to see him like batting second right before Harper or something like that. Or it could be a lot of fun on yeah. that roster. But uh, yeah, I think overall the options are slimming. 
And I'm wondering if he's going to get the deal that he really wants. I think at the end of the day, some team will pay him what he wants. But it's almost like, you know, I thought Detroit could be that team. Has not been the case. Or Um, the Yankees, yeah. Miami, I don't think he's going to spend that much kind of money, even though they were kind of rumored to be in on him a while back. But yeah, interested to see where he ends up. Um, But the market for him is definitely slimming. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that even people brought up that you know, he, I think they said he was a really big fan or he's a good friend of Alex Rodriguez and Alex Rodriguez changed spots, changed positions, uh, right. you know, halfway through his career. So people are saying is a third base market opened up for him. Uh, people have even rumored out there, Seattle Mariners, but I don't see him really changing. I know, uh, you know, with, with a rod going to the Yankees, there was already an icon and a hall of famer at shortstop. You know, I don't think they're going to put Correa at third and keep, you know, Crawford, JP Crawford at short. And it's kind of like, he's still not really broken out yet. Well, I, I think Correa knows that he commented on it earlier in the, in the off season that Jeter didn't deserve his gold gloves. There's yeah. that whole kind of conversation that came up, but A-Rod was an elite defender he was. in yeah. his prime. He was. So it's almost like they put a worse defender at third. Sorry. They left the worst defender at shortstop and put a, a better shortstop at third base. Yeah. I don't think, I think Correa probably understands that and does not want that to happen to him. Exactly. So I think he wants to be a shortstop for sure. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, again, the market's really slimming. Um, and that kind of leads us of course, into story. Uh, I think you're right. Story will probably have to wait and see what happens to Correa before he makes his decision. Decision, I really think. I think a good team for him, possibly. He's from Texas. I think going to the Astros could be a very good move for him. He could, uh, you know, really be a good replacement for Correa and still have a very powerful lineup the Astros would have uh, moving forward into the uh, upcoming seasons. It's interesting that the Rockies have even pointed out that they're interested in re-signing Story, which I just don't really get too much i mean i, I don't it kind of like it's just sad for the franchise honestly it it's kind of like the diamondbacks and that you could you could have traded him and got some value or you could have you you could have at least extend i think i don't even think they gave him a qualifying offer if i'm not mistaken maybe that was just for john gray i'm not they, sure they they did i'm more i think he rejected it probably within like the first 10 minutes i think they, of he was course just, he was like, why would i sign for one year 18 mil i'm gonna get more money more AAV, you know. So. Absolutely, to, it makes sense to decline it, but it just—it's just almost funny. You could have got something serious in return, but now if you're going to go spend all your money on keeping him, when obviously the uh, the Padres, the Dodgers, and the Giants are all ahead of you in the division, keeping Story is not going to help you leapfrog anyone. It's going to put you in the same spot you were last year, which was fourth. Um, so yeah, I honestly think that keeping him makes very little sense for the fans who love Story. It could be, I guess, a little bit good for them. It might help sell some tickets and some jerseys. But at the end of the day, if you want to remotely win in the future, I think you need to commit to a rebuild. And it seems like they're not capable of doing that, which is not great for the fans. I know, definitely, definitely. And I, honestly, story being, you know, just turning 29 uh, in mid-November, I could see, you know, the Astros giving him kind of the same deal they gave Korea. They can give him a six-year, $150 million deal. That'd be $25 million a year for story. I think he would definitely take it. I mean, I think that he would be, he would really like being a part of a winning team because the Rockies ain't doing much winning as of late. Uh, And so I think that going back to Texas, playing for a winning team and still making $25 million a year, you know, he could still definitely take something like that on the offer. And the Astros, of course, have expressed that they have that that money to spend for story. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I don't want to cover too much of the uh, position players, too, because I really know we're we're in this lockout phase. But uh, two guys I do want to cover, Alex, are Carlos Rodon and Clayton Kershaw, two lefty pitchers, two pitchers, of course, that had 
uh, I guess they're trending in different directions. You know, Rodon had a career year last year. Kershaw had a great year, a good year last year, but he is trending downwards because of the injuries. What do you see with these two players, Rodon and Kershaw? Yeah, I think both guys are a bit of a little bit of a question mark, but both have the potential to bring great value. They both have an issue where they didn't get to the innings number that you hoped that they would last season. Had some great rate numbers, but in terms of accumulating innings and you know accumulating lots of strikeouts and all that kind of good stuff, um, left a bit to be desired because of injury. And there should be a bit of injury concern for whatever team ends up getting these guys. But if you do the physical and you think that they're right and they're ready to go, definitely have the potential to be a number one on a good team. That's just a fact. I think Rodon, some of his strikeout numbers, his rate-based strikeout numbers, his K percent was just through the roof. Um, Kershaw, of course, is just a master when he's right. And we saw it one time, Travis, recently where we saw him and he definitely looked like he was right was in the World Series in the in Texas. Yeah, yeah. He looked like he was right. There was no injury issues for him. That was a great 60-game stretch for him. The whole season he was healthy. And then the postseason he was locked in. And if you get that guy in 2022 he's an ace but the question is can he stay healthy for 162 that will be the challenge and that will be the question for you say how many years do i want to commit to this guy or how much money per year does kershaw want a shorter deal and say let me prove to you guys what i got and then i can get a longer deal to finish off my career kind of um also does he want to return to the dodgers that's another question of course i'm sure in his heart he wants to stay but how much money and how many years will they actually commit to Kershaw knowing that just adding Kershaw you can't drop all your money on him because just adding him does not kind of make him this deadly contender because right now the rotation we're looking at Bueller and Urias which is a great one too but things slim out because I know that May is not gonna start at the beginning of the season I mm-hmm. think he still has some injury time to go Tommy John yep um so Kershaw would be a great addition for them to keep around but uh I think when you're offering a contract to both Kershaw and Rodon, you have to have the mindset of this can't be our one big piece because putting all our all our eggs in this one basket, if they do get injured, which they have a history of, uh, could be bad. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because he pitched really well in Arlington. Maybe he goes to his home state and uh, joins Corey Seager. Uh, that could be very possible because I think there's it's clear the, the, the Texas Rangers are down to spend more money. And like you said, it's a hometown fit. And he could say, Maybe I can be a mentor to some of these young pitchers here. They could sell him on that role as well. And if they want to, you know, we'll commit a few years to you so you get some good guaranteed money. That way um, they can say pretty much in their minds when he expires, we can maybe kick into a sort of competitive win now mode. Rodon Travis is someone I want to say, I would love for the Angels to try to go get him. Of course. I think there's tons of value in his upside. If he can get you to 150, 170 innings pitch, something like that. The rate-based stats, I'm not concerned about. I think he's going to be a great guy getting strikeouts. He made he, It's very obvious he made some tweaks um, that led to this 2021 because his numbers are just different than the years prior. He's a different guy. But like I said, it will come down to staying on the mound, staying in the rotation, making your starts. So that's where the concern lies um, with both those guys, really. Yeah, and I really wonder, you know, looking at even at the Angels with Kershaw, um, I, I, I just I feel like Kershaw, the max he'll get is – a two-year deal i don't know why i just feel like a lot of teams only want him for probably one year because they just want to see how it goes i I think they just are really concerned with the injury trends the last five years i just feel like every single august 
Kershaw with a back injury, Kershaw with some sort of other injury. So it's interesting to see how he gets perceived by some of these organizations. And then with Rodon, he's still a young guy. I mean, really, I think Rodon, of course, had his breakout season last season. 2.37 ERA would have had the ERA title. So uh, both guys on the Angels easily, of course, could probably be a number one. Honestly, I think they could be number two as well. They could have Otani and uh, Syndergaard possibly being the ace of that rotation. But, I mean... Who wouldn't love it? And I feel like Rodon, you could get, I don't know why I have this number, but I just feel like Rodon could easily sign for, you know, four years and like 70 mil. I, I, I feel like he would love that. And I feel like- I think he would take that immediately. Yeah. It comes down to if a team wants to give him four years, essentially. Exactly. With the inconsistent history. Exactly, exactly. So it just will come down to see, you know, what the confident level of him is. And, you know, just kind of looking at his, you know, innings pitched, record it, it was crazy that he had the most innings pitched this season since 2016 so a lot of teams are looking at that as a concern maybe he gets two years maybe he gets one years we'll see um the two big lefties on the market i think honestly probably the two best starting pitchers on the market are the both of those guys yeah the market is slimming for sure after all these signings of the last few days but yeah yep so as, as we kind of just end this episode of course we'll talk about you know the cba is expired the lockout i think we said it probably five times already this podcast but um, basically owners and players union will get together and of course talk about some of the big things that they need to agree upon. Um, there's a, there's a huge list of different things. I know they said that, that there might be, um, I, I saw something today that they're, you know, testing out a bunch of the different things in the Arizona fall league with, you know, experimenting with possibly making the bases bigger, uh, having different pitch, uh, pitcher clocks when it comes to starting pitchers going and warming up between innings yeah and then of course relief pitchers coming in in innings kind of trying to get the the pace of play uh you know faster uh going over of course having an automatic strike zone that way of course the you know the umpire is kind of taken out with all the balls and strikes that they are calling during the game so a bunch of different things but of course i know the big thing alex is we want to talk about the two big things would be of course a playoff and division restructure and a universal DH. Let's start with the universal DH. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're in a favor of that as well, getting a, you know, 30 teams have a DH in their lineup. The pitcher, just we don't want to see him hit anymore, unless your name's Shohei Otani. But the pitchers, we just really don't want to see uh, swing the bat that much. Thoughts on having a universal DH? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's time to have the A on the NL operate by the same rules in terms of their batting orders. Um it's really created this disparity where we always see these NL pitchers have these, like, I feel like you always see NL pitchers with better stats than AL pitchers, right? They have and one guy who just sucks. Defi the <laughs> definitely part of that equation is one in every nine guys is a free out. That's more or less the case. Very true. Yeah. Um, and so that's going to help the area. It's going to help the whip, increase your strikeouts, all that kind of good stuff. But yeah, Travis, I think it's time for the leagues to operate under that same rule of universal DH. It'll be a lot of fun also for I want to see how all these National League teams approach. We got to add a great bat. Some teams have like the Dodgers. You don't really need to go out of DH, right? You have so many. You have so many good <laughs> bats. You can make Pollock your DH on some nights, or you know, you just have enough. You have enough guys, enough skilled batters or on your bench. Could they make a To <laughs> To Pujols <laughs> return? But yeah, I think it's I think it's due. I think it's due time. And and I, I, I will I, point out too that just completely would elevate the Kyle Schwarber and Nelson Cruz market. Absolutely. They would have 15 more teams who are chomping at the bit 
to sign those two guys. So I feel like they have not signed yet because they are waiting to see what happens. Absolutely. I think that also goes for other outfielders that are just not that JD Martinez. defensively mind. J.D. Martinez is a guy. Um, Castellanos is a guy who's yeah. not known for his defense. Very true. Could end up being a you know an outfielder slash DH type for yep. an outfield for an NL team gets both roles um kind of in one uh travis another thing that i just never really it always bugged me about pitchers batting is pitchers get hurt batting all the time Degrom missed a big chunk of the season because of an injury he got while doing a practice swing it's like this is so stupid <laughs> why are we wasting a season of the greatest pitcher of our generation because he has to go back it is it's just dumb and of course, he probably gets RBIs anyways, but like I just would ra- much rather. And sure's with the black eye. <laughs> right. I want to see the pitchers focus on pitching and don't have to have them worry about hitting. It is not part of their job. Yeah. Um, and interleague play can have the same rules and just simplify things for everybody. I overall like it. Some of the kind of uh, pinch hit stuff in the NL was always kind of fun to watch, but I think it's much more beneficial to have the same rules on both sides and to have the pitchers focus on pitching and the batters overall it'll create better offense i think and yeah. better offense is a better product in my mind more people are going to watch i always thought it was really weird if i was a guy that just never watched baseball for and i saw that one league um plays different than the other league i would have just thought what what kind of game is this you know people yeah. who like basketball or soccer or football yeah, imagine like, if the east and the west and the nba like oh one league doesn't have three point lines like, yeah, oh, yeah. That's yeah you're so right no exactly that's a good point and so it, it's just it, the, the the way of play is so much different that's why of course the al historically is the hitting league and the nl is the pitching league so uh hopefully that can get done i think that of course would create a lot more excitement i think the fans and the owners would definitely like that. It just depends on the players union. I know Zach Greinke is one guy that has expressed that he wants to hit, and he's a pitcher. But well, he can pinch hit in like these exact tenth and eleventh inning games where you're running out of bench back. Exactly. You know what? Maybe you want to teach him to play a little bit of outfield, and he can be some. That's from that guy who plays maybe an inning of outfield or gets defensively subbed or something like that. But um, that is one, of course, thing that will be discussed between those two parties. And the next one, Alex, I know me and you have had a lot of conversations about this. That is possibly the playoff restructure. So that would be either I know the two things that have been thrown out is a six team playoff in each league or a seven team playoff in each league. And of course, six teams would mean the one and the two seed get a bye, the three plays the six, the four plays the five. Uh, and then the seven, of course, is the same thing, but the one seed gets the bye and everyone else has to play. So that gives you the huge incentive of finishing first in your league. Um, Alex, go with you. Which, of course, playoff structure do you like makes the most sense you would have if you, of course, had all the control right now? Yeah, so there's different schools of thought here. I've always been of the mindset I like more teams getting in. I think it helps to see more players in the postseason, uh, more exciting players. It is a shame that Otani and Tatis and some great players we didn't get to see in the postseason. It's the way it goes, obviously. It's not, you know, it's their team's faults. But We need pitching, uh, yeah. But yeah, when it comes down to it, it's more exciting to see more talent in the postseason. Also, that MLB will probably make more money. More TV deals, yeah. more games to be played in those TV, national TV uh, deals, as well as more tickets to sell because you have mm-hmm. more teams in the postseason. So overall, I think it will benefit a lot of parties. The only real downsides I see is like the teams who really are like dominant, like a Dodgers or a Rays or someone like that. They just kind of say, oh, well, it's kind of dumb that I have to go play. You know, maybe I get I got second in my league and I have to go play this 83 win team. Yeah. I get why that could be frustrating. 
um, if you feel like they didn't earn it. But there's, I think there's ways to balance that out. I think one way they're talking about is if they do the, the seven-team structure, the first round, I think, they would call it the wild card round, yeah. it'd be a three-game series, and all the games would be at the home of the favorite. So that's how they did the things. The two, the in, three, and the four would be home, yeah. And so if that was the case, it's really kind of saying, okay, your second seed, third seed team, like, you're right. It's them you have to play this A3 win team. But if they beat you twice at home in a three-game stretch, that's kind of on you. Exactly, so, exactly. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm overall for it. I've heard some other people make arguments saying that, like, a bigger playoffs means that, like, more teams that are in the middle can, like, try to spend less money and still make the playoffs. But overall, I think it's just better to have more teams get in it's better for the fans, I think. I think the fans have a better time when there is more excitement and more fresh teams and more fresh faces in the playoffs. It makes everything better. I would have loved to see that Blue Jays team in the playoffs last year. Definitely, I'd love to see the Phillies or the Padres or someone else in the NL, the Reds, I guess it would have been, make the playoffs. It would have been overall, I think, a more exciting format. So that's what I want to see going forward. Yeah, and it's funny that you brought up that last thing about a minute ago with you know teams in the middle spending less to make it. I mean, I, I you ask every Angels fan, we spent probably almost a billion dollars on our team and we still need to try to muster to get to above 500. So, right. you know, different teams, of course, have their different perspectives on it. But, you know, I'm in. I haven't thought too, maybe that'd be fun to have maybe a six-team playoff, but maybe they could do some sort of six and seven, one game, you know, 163 for a plan for the six spot. I don't know. I'm just thinking about different ideas to make things more fun and exciting. But, of course, getting those teams in is really exciting. I think last year what we saw in the National League, Alex, was just everyone was just kind of thinking this is a criminal playoff format you have the 106 win dodgers at home for one game against the 90 win cardinals then the cardinals honestly could have went on a on a little bit of a less extreme winning spree they could have finished with 85 wins and they would have been a playoff team because they would have had more wins than the phillies and the reds and of course the the padres and you would have had an 85 or 86 win cardinals team against a 106 win dodger team 20 less wins and you only have one game to prove that you can make yourself you know worthy and get to the national league division series and then you have to play the 107 win giants so it was really interesting to see that the dodgers of course walking off against the cardinals and then their next reward which of course the wild team wild card team has to go play the best team in the in the league uh i feel like giants fans of course are thinking how how are we getting this screwed we have to play a 106 win team and the Brewers over here have to play the 88-win team, the worst team in the playoffs, the Braves, of course, end up proving everybody wrong and going and winning the World Series. But the, the structure of the playoffs always is really interesting uh, when you look at the, you know, the win totals and the divisions and how it's so you know heavily impacted on which division you're in. The Braves, of course, uh, probably wouldn't even be a playoff team if they, if they weren't in the, you know, the NL East. But just interesting how they're kind of going to divide that all up. Any kind of last closing thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that you're completely spot on with how wacky it was last year. Um, it would have been so harsh for the Dodgers to be a 106 win team if they lost that game instead of won it. They won it in walk off fashion. If they had lost it in the you know that ninth or tenth inning or something, it would have been it would have been just a disaster. The Cardinals hit the ball. It, yeah, it, it, it would have been it would have been a criminal. Like, how could you have this good of a season and not end up yeah. playing a real full season? Yep. Your, your season came down to one game. Travis, one other thing that was uh, 
suggested or proposed in some of these expansion ideas was the home teams in those three-game series could pick their opponent. That was something that was brought up. Obviously, folks, all this is just proposals by the players or the MLB. There's been no agreements yet, but these are just uh, thoughts being floated out there. Would you like that? Personally, I think it would provide a really unique uh, setup because last uh, just, just this last uh, season, there was this whole scenario where we almost had to do that. We almost had to have for the wild card round before the wild card round on 163 164 games of the season when like the blue jays and the mariners and the yankees and the red sox almost all tied they would have had to have the teams with the better home field or the better records against each other would have to like pick their opponents yeah that would have been such chaos and i heard that pick I, a name out of a hat <laughs> i think i heard i forget if it was the red sox pick the yankees or if it was vice versa but i remember that like they had to submit their picks before the last game of the season and that's how they picked it where that was going to be the play it'd be so much fun to see like a two seed yankees pick the red sox say we want to play you that would that would a whole new level to the playoffs of like you're pretty much calling this team out saying i want to play you and i think overall it's a good system because it replaces this whole idea of Sometimes late in the NBA season, teams will like win or lose on purpose to try to play the team they want in the playoffs mm-hmm. because, oh, right now we're the sixth seed. But if we get down to the seventh seed, we can play this other team that is has an injured player. Yeah. And that's always lame. So I would much prefer the MLB if you can make it so essentially the better team is picking their opponents. It gets rid of that factor completely. And it just matters, can you get in? And if you get in, the big dog is going to choose who's coming to their ballpark. I think it'd be so much fun. Yeah, I, uh, I I will respectfully disagree. Really? Um, okay. I, 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 you know, I, I, you know me, I like structure. I think that, you know, if we looked at a seven-team playoff, the one seed, of course, gets the bye. I think that, you know, just being the two seed, I think in most years, the seven seed will be the worst team. Now, the seven seed could be the hottest team, which some teams, we, we've seen the last 10 years of wildcard play, you don't want to play a hot team. So maybe you would say, okay, I want to play the five seed because they knew they were a playoff team for the past, you know, six weeks, and they've kind of just been playing, you know, okay, maybe they have some starting pitching that has been on the sideline and injured. Um, I don't know. I feel like that portion of it would just be better if it's okay. The two plays the seven. The but uh, so my, my counterpoint is you said yourself the second team can play the seventh team, and the seventh team is usually the worst. Yeah. But now you're saying sometimes it's actually the one you don't want to play. Yeah. So wouldn't it be better to award the team that earned the second-best record, like last year would have been like the Dodgers, they can avoid the Cardinals. They can say, we want to pick the Braves. I think giving them that option, it just kind of is an interesting twist on saying the teams with a better record can really play, in their minds, what are the worst teams instead of the team with the worst record who actually could be red hot. I, I definitely see that, but I think with the players and the teams, I think it's honestly their mindset is we don't really care who we play. I, th- I think that they have that mindset, of course. I know most people are going to say, you know, but what about playing this? I think that they have to just think about it and say, you know, we we're, we think we're a great team. We can beat anybody. Anybody can show up to our ballpark. We're going to play them. I do, of course, think that if after the wild card round in a seven games, you know, in a seven um in a seven seeded uh, playoff format, of course, that the number one seed would have to play the lower seed. I think it would just be kind of crazy if it's like, oh, the seven seeds really hot and they put a beat down on the on the second seed and the number one seed doesn't want to play them. I, I feel like it, it get kind of weird where it's just like, oh, we want to play them instead. I feel like this pick and choose game can kind of just be a little like 
uh, you know, it, it, I think it just gets a little weird with that. I, we haven't really seen that, of course, in, in sports, which, of course, would be a good reason why possibly to do it. We haven't seen it before. But um, I don't know. I, I just I just like the whole, you know, you're going to play this team. And then if you win, you're going to play this team. I think the um, I think the NFL does that now where it's, of course, a seven seeded playoff in each conference. And yeah. the number one uh, seed will play the lowest division or the lowest the lowest seeded team. So really, they don't know who they're playing until those games are up and they can at least then focus on, you know, the winner of whichever the lowest seed is to focus on that team. But, um, you know, we'll see. I, I hope, of course, me and you both agreeing, I hope we can definitely see uh, expanded playoffs because, you know, I think it definitely creates a lot more excitement and you get these teams like the Blue Jays who are scorching hot at the end of the season, a chance to go compete. And honestly, I think you put the Blue Jays up against any AL team, Alex. I like I said, I think they are destroying everybody. That offense, the last three games, I know it was the Baltimore Orioles. I think they were scoring 10 runs a game. They were on fire. And the pitching staff was doing great. It really but I think it's a it's a team I really will wonder about for you know years to come as what could have been this team was so special. And I'm not even a Blue Jays fan, but I just knew that it was crazy to watch the last couple of games. And the way that that weekend ended was awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. Travis, there's so much exciting things that are probably going to come out the next couple of weeks about the CBA and the different ideas they float out. I know there's already talks about uh, every in- every team gets into the playoffs. Yeah. Oh uh, no, that that well obviously <laughs> that, obviously that wouldn't be good. No, exactly. Yeah. But the I mean, one thing I keep hearing about is increasing the salary uh, ceiling. You know, the the salary cap. Yep. Um, if they increase the salary cap, Travis, that means pretty much every team that's trying to build a winner right now, like the Angels are and many other teams. They could have more wiggle room all of, all of a sudden really could. come January. So that'd be really interesting. If they make a salary floor, which has been talked about too, of course, the salary floor, the idea behind that is to get some of the teams are feel like they're not trying to win. Like maybe Pittsburgh. um, the Pittsburghs, uh, the yeah, the Guardians, Travis, yeah. they, just, yeah. they notoriously will just, they've just kind of sold away some of their best players just to kind of almost save money. You're kind of saying, well, you could have been competitive this year, but you had to trade Lindor, didn't you? Like, you know, why did you do that kind of yeah. thing? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, Travis, it could be a very, it's going to be a time for tons of creative ideas and it could be a whole new world in a couple months to be a baseball fan. It could yeah. be a different league we're looking at in a variety of ways. Um, one thing that came out recently that was this whole double ball thing. Uh, I don't know if we're going to hear more about that, but apparently that the league admitted or someone got a quote saying that they used two different balls during the regular season, yeah. which I, I don't know what the main purpose is. I, it's, it just feels like a lot of kind of, uh, they, I think they said a juiced ball in a prime more time intriguing game. Yeah, yeah. matchups and, and, uh, and primetime games. And then a, a unjuiced ball in like just boring matchups. You know, if you want to right. see like diamondbacks, Rockies, it's like, we don't really care what we use there, but, it, it, I just it just sounds it does not sound good. I, it, I don't know why. It, it just you know. sounds like the yeah the league is is meddling with things that they don't need to. I think overall you know I mean we're gonna of course learn a lot more in the next couple of weeks about you know what ideas are being floated out there. But I think the players are kind of definitely shaking their heads on that one towards the league. The league I think is gonna have to come to some concessions with the players, and we'll see how that all goes over the next few weeks. But Travis, uh, starting on you know our next episode. It's not going to be the same kind of stuff because the league's in lockout. Uh, no and trade, so, and so is the podcast. We're in lockout mode now too. Now <laughs> the, the, the the trades and the signings are going to be on pause for I would say 
several weeks. I don't know. How, we don't, I, I think we I don't think know how it's long it's certain. Last. I think it's almost certain until um, honestly mid January. I think we're. I think they're going to take it, December as kind of like a. It'd be surprising for it to get done in this in before the holidays. That, I, 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 agree. I I think everyone owners players union they're on like christmas holiday mode that they're just like we'll come back after the new year and, and come do you know a, a meeting and see what happens hopefully this gets done by like you know, i've heard some people say this might not even get done till after super bowl sunday which i pray and hope that doesn't happen uh i'd hope that you know pitchers and catchers can report on time yeah. as usual that would really that would really suck as angels fans as we get pitching this offseason and of course we're locked out and all these pitchers uh, have to, you know, report later than usual, and it kind of screws up their routine of yeah. a normal offseason. Um, I don't think we're going to miss any games because I think owners, of course, know they can't afford to lose any more revenue. Twenty twenty hit them so hard. Well, yeah, I mean, they, I think they, they have, they have plenty of money, right? They just, they just showed us in free agency that they have yeah. money to spend. Yeah. But I completely agree that they saw the, I, the, the red numbers, the negative numbers in their bank accounts from missing all those games <laughs> exactly. all those ticket sales besides having no fans that's a whole nother aspect of you know how much money they, that they did see in the negatives but you're rip- ripping us all off for beer and hot dogs i mean they, they missed that yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah and and so with all that being said i completely agree that they don't want to have another situation where uh there's an extended missed number of games and that there's money out of their pockets pretty much um, and then you have to start arguing with the players about, okay, we missed a month of the season. Are you going to pay us for that month? That's a whole other issue that they don't exactly. have to worry about. So anyways, Travis, lots of content coming up. We're going to have to shift gears a bit with some new ideas for the podcast during this lockout. Of course, any lockout news comes out, we will be uh, right there for it. But we're going to get a little interesting, a little exciting. Um, but we'll keep that as a surprise for you guys going forward. Um, but yeah, Travis, anything else? That-, that pretty much wraps it up. I hope we can get through this smoothly and you know easily so yeah uh so that pretty much wraps up this week's episode guys if you made it this far thank you so much for listening and as always we will talk to you guys next week presented by tool tools podcast